and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Brown. Director Philip Noyce and Marina Baccarin join the Movies in Focus podcast to talk about their latest film, Fast Charlie. Brutal when it needs to be, funny when it wants to be, and heartfelt when you least expect it, Fast Charlie is first-class entertainment for grown-ups. Master craftsman Noyce has built a well-constructed revenge thriller around star Pierce Brosnan, and the script delivers plenty of standout moments. Anyone looking for a good old-fashioned thriller will have to search far and wide for one that works better than Fast Charlie. Having enjoyed the film so much, it was great to talk about it with its maker and star. I spoke with returning guest Philip Noyce about a range of topics, such as the power of positive reviews, what it's like working with Pierce Brosnan, the intricacies of balancing drama and comedy, and we even touched on the directing of the James Bond franchise. Marina Baccarin talked about the complexities of building a strong character, the balance of romantic storylines, Deadpool 3, and more. As always, I hope you enjoy what we had to discuss. Thanks very much for that wonderful review that you wrote. Oh, well, thank you for reading it. <laughs> I, I never expected the, these things to come back from the filmmakers, so so thank you. Yeah, um, no, that was uh, that was tremendous. What do you mean, don't read it? You know, we're... We're on tender hooks in these days leading up to the release of uh, any movie, you know, all of us. Uh, we read every one of them. <laughs> well, especially, especially yours, which was so eloquent. And and I must say it, uh, it touched me and Pierce to read what you wrote. Uh, Pierce was tickled pink. I think the review came out on Monday, didn't it? And, I think, uh, yes, or around the start yeah. of the week, yes. Yeah, so it started our week off with uh, with something really positive, and so the both of us both of us were chuckling to each other. Uh, <laughs> read that review. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it was all true, you know. Obviously, um, I I loved the movie. In fact, I spoke with you about a year and a half ago. Yeah, you were in New Orleans prepping, or you were doing scouting locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were talking about the Naomi Watts film. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were looking for locations and and and, and finding them, uh, looking for actors and finding them. And the thing that happened was that five days before we were due to shoot, we lost a good part of our funds. So the movie was really teetering there for for, for about a week. We didn't know whether we were going to go ahead or abandon it. Right. Um, and uh, we finally came back together after a week down and uh, with and got the money. But when we added up all the money we had, it was a quarter less than we had a week before. So Richard Wink and I uh, got together and talked about the possibilities. And what happened was that this great big bloated action film lost a, a lot of its action and the action was transferred to character and emotion and relationship. So the, the movie became something else, I would say to its advantage, because now we had to rely on the relationship between uh, uh, Marina Baccarin's character and Pierce Brosnan's. We had to very much rely on the relationship between James Kahn's character and Pierce. Um, and, the humor became so much more important uh, and rose to the top, you know? Yes, um, and there's a, there's a lot of very dry and very dark humor in it. 
Yes, there is. There is. And as an Irishman, you know, you would appreciate that dark humor. Yes. That, that's why I, one of the things that I loved about it, you know, it almost had um, an, an, an Elmore Leonardy quality, you know, to the, the sort of sort of the, the wit and the, the darkness to that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's in the original novel by Victor Gisler, but it but it's also the work of the master uh, screenwriter, Richard Wank, you know, who is able to write, the, I think, the most dramatic, uh, uh, wonderful set pieces, you know. He's the master of the modern era. I mean, the way in which he's given uh, Antoine Fuqua to dispose of bad guys in the Equalizer films is, is, a, is, a, is a wonder to behold. Um, and of course, here, he would he fought me on some of the some of the set pieces. For example, you'll know that there's a character who is dispatched by a bottle of soda. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I said to Richard, well, you know, shouldn't we change the soda to a vaping device, you know? And Richard just said no about 10 times. And of course he was right. You know, it's such it's such a brilliant set piece. Um, that only a, the macabre mind of Richard Wank could invent. Yes, I mean, there's a character who dies at the kind of relatively at the very close to the very start of the film in in a way that it actually made me laugh. I was I was watching it. I was watching it on my TV, but on a sort of a, a screener link, and I, I chuckled so much I had to rewind and watch it again because it was so sort of surreal in in, in how it sort of you know played out. It was that in the script as well. That was that particular event was in the book and the script. So that was Victor's uh, Victor Gisler's invention in the original novel. Of course, the original novel was set in uh, Florida, in Orlando, and and then Miami. And uh, just because of my particular love affair with the Gulf Coast and and New Orleans, we reset it, uh, you know, in Louisiana which is a great setting and, you know, there's a real sweatiness to it. I mean, obviously I come from Ireland, so we, we don't get a lot of hot weather, but there's a kind of a, you know, a real, you, you can feel the atmosphere and the, the, it's very lush and very green as well. Yes. Well, of course, that's also the work of the master Australian cinematographer, Warwick Thornton, who recently at the um, Camera Image Festival put on by the, leading world's cinematographers, he was voted the best photographer, the best cinematographer of 2023 for his film, The New Boy with Kate Blanchett. Um, he's a writer, director, and cinematographer. Um, and he has another skill that was very important every night uh, uh, on this movie. We shared a house in New Orleans and, and Warwick is unknown to most people a master chef, right. just like the character that Pierce Brosnan plays yes. in the movie. So I would come home and uh, spend an hour and a half watching my dailies, the film we'd shot the day before, while Warwick was whipping up the most marvellous meals and then we'd, we'd eat them together and we sort of bonded over his cooking and, and, and my eating. <laughs> is, is that normal in a film where you, you you share a house with somebody you're working with or presumably you, you've kind of had enough of them all day how does that how does that work 
Uh, well, you know, it was it, 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 he he wanted to be near me because we hadn't had a lot of pre-production time. Um, and also, I think, uh, you know, that's his first... No, it, he has done one other movie outside Australia, but I think he was feeling a little lost <laughs> coming <laughs> from Australia over to New Orleans. Um, so it was sort of like we developed a father-son relationship. Um, and I'm glad we did, because although we spent most of our evenings eating and drinking, um, it's just that invisible rapport that we developed that yes. was so important in catching, you know, the imagery that we're after, which which is mainly, as you said, you know, we caught the spirit of the Gulf Coast and New Orleans, and that's something that usually is cancelled out of movies that are set down there because people try to make the place look something else than what it is. We we decided that we were going to catch New Orleans and the Gulf, and the Gulf Coast of Mississippi as it really is, um, and then put our characters into that. So there was a very different approach to most movies. We didn't try and enhance what we already found to be arresting and beautiful. That's it. When you normally see sort of films in New Orleans, there's always crowded scenes on Bourbon Street and sort of these kind of music in the background. And although you, you sort of, you, you get the vibe, it, it, it definitely felt like it was a different place as opposed to what you normally see, like you said, on film. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and is that something that you get from not being American? Is it sort of being a foreigner? Is that you look well, at Well, yeah, it is, it is for both of us, for both the cinematographer and myself. I mean, I was attracted to New Orleans because it's like going to another planet. It's not America. You know, it's yes. somewhere else, and it's not France either. Um, um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's its own planet. That whole area is, um, and 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 the people relate to each other differently. Their body language is different. The way they dress, you know, the way they get drunk in public. Of course, you can you're allowed to do that in New Orleans. You can carry not not just weapons but alcohol. That's a dangerous combination, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it can be because there's so much love around. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yes, it's crimes of passion. Um, what one of the things um about the film? I mean, Pierce Brosnan, brilliant in it. I'm also a huge fan. I'm one of those people that watches The Godfather, and everybody talks about Brando and Pacino, and I talk about how great James Caan is in The Godfather. What was it like? How did he get into the film? Obviously, it's his last film. How did that all come about? Um, you know, we approached him. He said yes. I talked to him on the phone. But he turned up the day before he started shooting. Uh, and it was like I was meeting a little kid. He was so excited. Um, excited because he was getting back in the saddle the next day. Um, and when I think about it, because he did pass nine weeks after we finished shooting. When I think about it, uh, I think he must have been drawing on his own impending mortality in a way, in the way he portrayed Stan Mullen. But we didn't get any sense of that. You know, he was lost and depressed and in a dement, demented state 
when I yelled action. And then he would become the little kid full of energy when I yelled cut. Um, so, and yet, you know, it's a poignant performance, really. Yeah. I suppose maybe it's us, it's poignant to us because we we look and, 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 and miss him so much. Um, and it was funny watching the two of them together because, um, you know, they developed quickly a master, I mean, a, a, a father and son relationship on and off the set. James was had a, as a proper wheelchair and Pierce was just wheeling him around everywhere. That that must have been a very sort of surreal sight for you as a director watching sort of Pierce Brosnan wheeling around James Cam, sort of <laughs> whilst you're setting up a shot, I presume, for the next the next take. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with those guys, there weren't many takes. Let me tell you that. You know, James Khan is a master. He would get it right on take one and Pierce Brosnan hardly hardly needs the camera to record what he's doing. He's so there and on, you know. Uh, it was that made our schedule really easy in a way those two actors well that's it I mean Pierce Brosnan I mean as I said in my review he kind of he really can do this stuff sort of very easily but he also seems to relish playing taking that stereotype of the sort of the the James Bond if you will character and adding in a kind of a nasty gritty quality to it like the matador or, or films like that is that something that was in the script or does he sit down with you and go do you know what i've played this character before let's add a, a different layer to it how does that come about i mean it, it was in the script um but what i realized you know, on the very first day was that pierce worked this all out you know i mean usually you spend weeks trying to take the actors through the story because it's going to be shot out of out of sequence making sure that they know where they're at in each on each day you know because we will often do the ending at the beginning and the beginning at yeah. the end um as we did in this film uh, but pierce i realized had it all worked out you know he'd, he'd sat down and really thought about the character and the transformation that he was going through um during the story and of course the major transformation is in his relationship not just with the, the Jimmy Khan character but with Marina Baccarin yes uh, and Marina brought so much to that part she she signed on late she we filmed without her for the first seven days uh she joined uh and came straight to set um I hadn't had a chance to rehearse with them or even read the two of them together. So I was pleasantly knocked out uh, when, when I saw the chemistry that they had between each of, each of them. Um, and she was, she insisted that that character, having been married previously to a gangster, of course, who uh, is offed by Pierce Brosnan's character early in the film, um, having been married to a gangster and that she would know that world and that she wouldn't be ever, she didn't want to ever be a damsel in distress. She felt that she probably understood just as much about the dangers and how to avoid them and how to overcome them of, of being in that criminal milieu as Pierce's character. And of course, um, there's one scene where 
she is a damsel in distress, or at least the guys that have come to 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 um, uh, collect her think she's a damsel in distress, and they discover that that's not true to their own disadvantage, of course. Um, yep. Yeah. But yeah, and I mean, that's a sort of a great character point with her because it could have very easily been that stereotypical, they, they bicker and fall in love, but you can actually see the gradients of their relationship growing, you know, where he he falls in love with her first and she's still sort of keeping him at a distance, even though she respects him. And then it sort of, it progresses from there. That was a yeah. nice. And hopefully it progresses to a sequel. Because I'd prefer I'd up, that. <laughs> they end up headed to somewhere that I won't reveal. Don't want to give it all away. But uh, let's hope that uh, this, we find out what happens to Marcy and Charlie uh, after this movie's over. Oh, I would love a couple more of these, you know, especially sort of as they, they, they travel around. That would be brilliant. <laughs> um, just one thing. There's, there's a moment in the film and it's a little bit of a nod maybe it's my reading into it, but to James Bond where Pierce Brosnan picks up a certain item and looks at it with a certain glint in his eye. Is that something, am I reading too much into that or is that something that you guys planned? What, how did that come we about? We didn't plan it, but he's exploited the moment <laughs> on behalf of the audience. And we all realized what he'd just done. It wasn't something that was set up beforehand um it was just his imagination at that moment yeah because i mean it's just a sort of very kind of and he he plays it so well because it could go am i just reading into it or is it just his his performance but no i i think i think a lot of of his fans in particular will get a kick out of it and and speaking of it i mean you were making spy films in the 1990s did they ever come knocking the the bond people at your door to sort of deliver a Bond movie in Pierce's era? Um, there was some talk way back. Um, but what I would say is that uh, Barbara Broccoli uh, and her, her brother have really reinvented that series. They've done a marvellous job of shepherding it into the 21st century by choosing, you know, idiosyncratic uh, directors um, who really have helped the evolution of the Bond series. And it's, I think it's life while Barbara's in charge is assured. Um, I'm very, I mean, I've been talking to her, not about me. I've been suggesting people that I think would be great to direct, direct the next Bond. One of the suggestions I made is, is an African filmmaker, uh, I don't know, she, she's, uh, and I keep pestering her and saying, okay, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a female bond? Is it going to be in the future? Is it going to go back into the past? And her reply about both, who's going to direct it and what's going to happen to the reincarnation of bond is always, well, we're working on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the party line that, that, that that's out there. And what are you working on? I mean, obviously you, you're doing the promo for this. What, what's next for, for you? You know, we've just had uh, an almighty uh, uh, downtime. Um, yes. And the whole of the film industry is sort of trying to, to get back into 
rhythm to start the uh, the roller coaster again. It's still not running smoothly. Um, we're, we're, and the main problem is just trying to pin down actors, you know, because so many actors have gone back to the projects they should have been shooting when they were on strike. Yeah. Because that was a long, long downtime. So I don't know what I'm doing next. You know, there's a number of different projects, um, some comedies, some action, some drama. Um, it all depends which, and, and you know, we directors are very much dependent on our actors and they made us realise that so heavily during the strike because we can't do anything without someone who responds when we say, action, yep. cut. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're useless. It's no use directing to a mirror. Um, so, you know, we're, I've got feelers out there to try and attract actors to different projects. Some of them are tiny, some of them are big. And we'll see who responds. Well, that's, I mean, you're so adept at working in the, the studio sphere and the, the independent. You, the, the last few have been sort of very independent driven. Does that give you a better freedom than working for the big studios? Where they're oh, not absolutely. You know, I made five films in the 90s in the Hollywood movie machine, right in the middle of the beast. Um, and then I went back to Australia for 10 years and, and made three independent films. And that was the best decision that I ever made to reinvent myself as another Philip Noyce <laughs> who can make studio films, but can also make tiny little films like Rabbit Proof Fans. Yep. So uh, here I am at a time when many directors are sitting in the, in the uh, rocking chair. I'm still waiting for my next assignment and still eager to keep, keep telling stories and amusing and audiences all around the world and i'm very eager to, to keep watching because I, I think you're a fantastic director kind of from your your big movies to your your, your smaller pieces i'm a i'm a huge fan of your work sort of going back i mean dead cam i remember watching that and you know phenomenal film that i keep revisiting because it's just so so good but i mean like i said fast charlie i really really as, as you saw from my review really enjoyed it and had an absolute blast with it well, as I said to you, Pierce Brosnan and I had a blast reading your review. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 thank you. I think I've probably taken up a bit more of your time than I've been allowed. So we'll, we'll end it sort of for me on that high note. <laughs> thank you. Look forward to seeing you again. And now for my conversation with Marina Baccarin. How are you today? I'm good. <laughs> Has it been a long day of uh, interviews? And it is, and you are my last one, so I'm very excited. <laughs> there you go. Ho hopefully, we end on a high, so it, it won't be too kind of disappointing for when you go off and have a a cocktail or whatever it is. Then. Oh, of I definitely. I think I've earned myself a martini. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. And yeah, I mean, I loved the movie. I was speaking to Philip Noyce the other day, and you know, telling him how much I, I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. I thought it was heartfelt. I thought it was, I mean, violent, but you know, all, all these things, but they all balanced so well. And I, I just, I mean, I thought it was an absolute blast. Thank you so much. I feel the same way. I think he is quite a master at pulling 
this sort of new hybrid genre out of a hat. You know, it's a little bit yes. thriller. It's a little bit Hitman action movie. It's also very funny. Yeah. And he said you were sort of lit to coming into it. Like literally they'd started shooting and then you arrived. So how did you get involved and how did you end up sort of coming in sort of so last minute? Yeah, they had someone cast and it didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, I was having conversations with Philip about it and um, they hired me and started shooting. So I had like two or three weeks, I think, to sort of really get my bearings. Um, and by the time I arrived in New Orleans, they were already like a week into production. Um, it was very fast, but everybody was very welcoming. And I remember walking into our hotel and um, New Orleans and meeting Pierce for the first time and, and just how warm and welcoming him and Philip were. And, you know, we had so many creative character driven conversations, which is so, so refreshing. Um, and we were able to kind of like hit the ground running by, by, by just, you know, osmosis and talking and just like wanting to create this really rich world. Well, that's it. I mean, one of the things about your role, it very easily could have been a damsel in distress. And you're not, you know, you're a very well-rounded character. And what's so good about it is, as the movie goes on, sort of Pierce Brosnan's character falls in love with you, but you don't really fall in love with him. <laughs> you know, even though he's Pierce Brosnan, you, you, you sort of, you, you, you keep him at a distance, you know, and you see it go from, you know, you're antagonistic towards him to where you need him to where you're friendly with him. And then sort of things develop from then. How do you work on that as a character? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, very hard to resist Pierce, you know, let me tell you, um, the man still got it. Um, and I think what is so interesting and compelling about these two is they're damaged goods. They both want the same thing, though, and I think ultimately that's what brings them together. But I think they play it very smartly. You know, he's hard and fast, and he's had a lot um, of just action in general in his life. And he thinks he can just get this woman and do whatever. And she turns him down, and she's like, no, 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 I've been there. I've done that. I'm not doing this again. Even though she starts to get an inkling that he's maybe a little bit different, it's still very hard for him um, to get her to trust him and i think that that's a very defining moment for both of them and then when she realizes that he's a good person and he he wants what she wants peace to get out of it um and to just live a, a, a nice quiet life and i think that's also very enticing for her and to feel like there is a man out there um that can take care of her in a um emotional way that she hasn't been seen before and, and, and that's the thing, you, you, the character is so strong that she could have lived a very sort of strong and fulfilled life without him. It's just that events yes. inspire, you know, and not, yeah. yeah, you don't get that a lot. In there's not, a, there's not, that's not something you see very often. You're right. Yeah. And it's something that she doesn't, that I think that lends itself to the strength in this character is like, she doesn't need him, yeah. um, which also makes it that much more appealing. And you know what? they may or may not have this romance. They will have an interesting relationship together and whether it turns physical or not kind of doesn't matter. They've connected on such a deep way um, that I think it like feeds that, it like scratches that itch a little bit for the audience. Well, that's it. I mean, you could swap the, the, the sex of either character. You could, Pierce's character could have been a woman. You, your character could have been a man and they could have both been men. They could have both been women. It could have been platonic. And it still wouldn't really change the character arc. It is about that growing and learning together. 
Yes, agreed. I think it's a it's a story about humans and people um, and the characters having had the history in the past that they have had. And the fact that it's sprinkled very lightly throughout the film really makes you root for them. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene that you have with Sharon Gless, which <laughs> is absolutely brilliant. How did that, how did it feel acting that? What was it like acting that? Tell me about that sequence. She's so funny, um, such an icon and such a sweet woman. Um, I it was such a, I had such a hard time keeping a straight face. Um, it was, you know, she, she tried a lot of different things and, you know, she was just like, on it all the time. It was it was great. It was it was really fun to watch. It was also nice to have like this moment of, of levity in the film, even though my character is taking it very seriously. It was really nice, I feel like, for the audience to decompress a little bit and see something kind of outrageous. Um, and I, I love that about the film too, is the eccentricity of a lot of the characters. I think it's not, it doesn't like go like too far in the comedy world, but it definitely, you know, there's like pressure valve releases that I think is much, much needed. Well, that's it. And, I mean, I'm of the generation of Cagney and Lacey, and I actually saw Sharon Glass on a stage play about 25 years ago in London. So oh, wow. when, when I saw her name in the credits, I sort of had expectations. They they, they were not met. They were, <laughs> they, they were totally <laughs> fast. <Exceeded>. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, sort of looking at your career, you've done a lot of different roles, um, a lot of sort of, I'll say sort of science fiction, sort of fantasy stuff. This is a very grounded, as much as it is sort of a hitman thriller, there's a realism to it with the funny and the dark and the, the humor. What, what's your favorite type of performance to do? Do you love playing it all? Do you love mixing it up? What, what's that like? I do, I get very, you know, I want to do a project or a movie or a play or a TV show that just inspires me that like, just kind of sparks that creativity. Um, you don't always find it. You know, sometimes you read scripts and you're just like, I don't know how to do this. I don't connect with it. I don't like it. Um, and then you read a script like this and you're like, I see this person. I see this character. I love this story. Um, and it seems fun. And, and it was, it was a blast. And being in New Orleans too was like very intoxicating. It's a city that becomes a bit of a character in this piece. Yep. It's the nightlife and the drinking and the, you know, the accents, the culture, very rich. Um, so I, I, it just, for me, I have to be sparked somehow. I was just about to ask you about New Orleans as well, because I mean, it is such a, like you said, a character in the film. How long did you spend there? And what was, sort of, what was it like working there? We, we shot there the whole time. Um, we were originally going to shoot some scenes in Mississippi, but it didn't quite work out, but we shot in uh, New Orleans and then like in some of the suburbs. And it was like a three or four week shoot. Um, so it was very, very fast. But the minute you land in a place like that, it, it's like, it like permeates, you know, and you yes. really are drawn to it. And like, you kind of adapt to the life. I was having way more cocktails than I suddenly had had before. Um, you know, that heat, the summer heat and the humidity and the, like the music everywhere. Um, it was really, it was really fun. Yeah, that's, I mean, I was, when I was speaking to, Philip Noyce, I was saying he, he shot it in a way where it doesn't look like the generic New Orleans, you know, where you, you have a lot of people on Bourbon Street and they're, they're partying and you, it, it was done in a, in a way that was very fresh and different where it, it, it felt like a different place. When, mm. when you're working with a director like him, 
what's it like when he changes presumably your expectations of well as well of how he wants to shoot things yeah i i didn't know what to expect i'm i've been a huge fan of his work forever since rabbit proof fence um so i of course knew he was quite talented but you never know how somebody like that works um and he was, you know, we were dealing with like very, very large constraints financially and also like in the locations that we were in were very small and, you know, we didn't have a huge crew, um, but he was so um, careful and creative and very specific and he had it all in his mind and you just, all you had to do was trust him and let go and be a part of it. Um, I love the location that he picked for Marcy's house. I think that says so yeah. much about her. You know, it's this small house on stilts, very windy in the, what looks like the edge of the world, you know, and she's, you can tell she's a woman that's like literally trying to elevate her life and change things and be alone and just process. Um, and it, it was, you know, I, I think that that sort of, creativity and thoughtfulness that he brings to his projects just allowed me to fully trust the process. And you, you, you're speaking to the house there and obviously your character's a, a taxidermist and the, the set of the house is very, uh, it's filled with character. What's it like working in a set like that? Did you learn any taxidermy? What, how did that sort of work for your character and you as an actor? Yeah, I definitely had to do some research. I'd never really thought about it before extensively. Um, I didn't have a ton of time, but I, I did a little research. I met with a taxidermist. I watched her. She was working on a small bird at the time, and I watched her kind of, you know, deal with that and asked a lot, a ton of questions. Um, you know, it was it was quite revelatory to realize that there isn't like gore and blood and organs and all the stuff that's really involved. Um, and it's more artistic than I expected. Uh, creating life, you know, making a, a dead creature seem alive and come alive, you have to paint it and pin more feathers or wings a certain way. And then there's all these different beads that they choose for the eyes to make it look lively again. And um, I thought that was quite beautiful and meditative and, and became a, quite a metaphor for my character, you know, that she takes the care and the joy and the hope in like taking something that has been roadkill or thrown out or hunted and embodies it again with a soul. Um, and I, I, it was a very cool, you know, aspect of who she was. Well, that's, I mean, it, it really is a character that you sort of meet her and you realize that she has as much grit and gravitas as, as sort of the, the Pierce Brosnan character and that you've probably seen as much death and experienced as much death as he mm. has through mm. his career and his, his job. Absolutely. And who knew that taxidermy lent itself to cleaning up dead bodies also. <laughs> well, there's also that. <laughs> And just, just finally, I, I, before we, we wrap up here, what's next for you? What are you working on? And sort of, have you got any projects that you're excited about or? Yeah, um, I just came out with a video game recently, uh, Assassin's Creed, which is quite exciting and something new for me. Um, I shot Deadpool 3, which I'm excited to have the world see next year sometime. Was that before um, or after the strike before. or? It was I mean actually kind of right in the middle. Yeah, it was like right as it was happening, I, I was able to finish my days and then the movie went on hold during the strike and now it's backing up and shooting, but my part in it is finished. Um, 
And then I shot a film last year called Elevation, which hopefully will come out soon. We don't have a release date yet, but it's another action driven kind of like end of the world disaster film. Um, yeah. Right. That, that sounds fun. I, I like a good sort of end of the world disaster film. So that sounds. We uh, all do. It's entertaining. I know that's it, especially with what's going on in the world. Uh, can I just say thank you so much? Thank you for your time and uh, go off and have yourself a, a well earned martini. Thank you so much. I <laughs> much appreciate yeah, nice it. I hope the film's a, a big hit and big success. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. That's it for this time, and I'll see you at the movies.